offering my most loving pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet. Dear listeners, I welcome you to this week's episode of the Gita series, A Triumph Pilgrimage. This is Prem, your friend from Team Radio Sai. And as always, I have the pleasure of being seated in one of the most special places in probably the entire universe, Prashantinilyam. And I'm coming to you from our studios at Radio Sai. This is a program where we go through the Bhagavad Gita verse by verse and I've had the pleasure of all your company and uh, I can't tell you how overwhelmed I am by all the responses that have been coming for the live broadcast as well as the rebroadcast of the Gita series that happens on Fridays and uh, even as I sit here week after week and I pray that Swami speaks through me and I also tell you and tell myself that I only hope that Swami inspires every word that is uttered on this program. The responses that I get from all of you is only a validation of the fact that I am able to sit here and minimize my presence as much as I can and I'm allowing Swami's thoughts to flow through my words and I'm eternally grateful to Swami for that and I'm grateful to each one of you for If not for you, I wouldn't be sitting here and having this precious opportunity of being a conduit for Swami's words and Swami's love and message. As always, let's begin with a short summary of what we covered last time. We began the part of the sixth chapter which is referred to as the Atma Samyama Yoga. The part where Krishna very beautifully and very descriptively explains how one must take to the discipline of meditation. But before we came to that part, we covered a couple of shlokas which were precursors to the Atma Samyama Yoga. We began with a short description or discussion on the 8th shloka where Krishna describes the sadhaka as a jnana vijnana triptatma, one who is satisfied or self-satisfied with jnana and Vijnana. We spoke of what Jnana is and what Vijnana is. Jnana, of course, we've been speaking about, but when Jnana and Vijnana are spoken of together, they stand for different concepts. When we say a person has Vijnana, it means that a person has some wisdom which has been internalized, which has become spontaneous knowledge and which very spontaneously expresses through words, actions, and the choices that one makes. And some part of the knowledge is also what is referred to as paroksha jnana, which is not one's own wisdom, but it is the wisdom of those whose words one accepts on the basis of faith. And we discussed about that. And when Krishna says jnana vijnana triptatma, it means one who has one's own experience to fall back upon and the experience of those in whose words one has faith in, in our case, most often it is we have faith in Swami's words, right? I'm sure 90% of Swami's discourse is not yet part of our own experience, but we accept it because we believe that if there is anybody whose words we can trust, it is the words of Swami. Krishna mentions another quality, Samaloshta Ashmakanchanaha, which he goes on to speak about in the next shloka as well, which is the ninth shloka. The ninth one starts with a very complex word that covers 
different sorts of people that we all encounter in life. Krishna says, Suhrid, a benefactor, Mitraha, a friend, Ari, enemy, Udhasina, indifferent or someone who is neutral, Madhyastaha, an arbitrator in the case of a conflict between two parties, Dveshyaha, the hateful one, Bandhu, relative, Sadhushu, one who is righteous, Apicha, Papeshu, and even the unrighteous. One thing when Krishna mentions this exhaustive list is, I think it is an acknowledgement of Krishna and of course Swami, that we do encounter different kinds of people and we encounter these different kinds of people because those differences are in our mind. And Krishna says, someone who is able to interact with all of these people with samabuddhi or an equal intellect or equal mind, he says that a karma yogi should be a person like this, a sadhaka should be a person like this. And as I just mentioned, in the eighth one, he says that one should have equal vision towards Loshta Ashma Kanchanaha, which means a clod of clay, sand, dust or gold. The idea is objects which have different values to us in our everyday life. And he says one should have an equal approach to all of them. We had discussed the importance or the relevance of this in the discourse that Krishna is giving Arjuna. The essential point is that the entire discourse is being given to a karma yogi and the karma yogi is meant to stick to his dharma or his duty at all times. So when Krishna is talking about samadrishti, when different objects of different values are placed in front of you or different people come in front of you, some who are dear to you, some who are related to you, some who are good to you, some who are unkind to you and all of these when Krishna says one should have a samabuddhi, it means one must not deter from the path of morality and dharma when faced with different kinds of such people and when different objects are the results of our actions. When I do my duty, I get probably a certain object, but when I am ready to stray away from my duty or my morals, I probably have the promise of something which is more value, like gold like jewellery. But even then, one remains equanimous and continues to do one's duty. And I think that is a more apt description that Krishna has been giving here. The Atma Samyama Yoga, as I said, began in the 10th verse of the 6th chapter. Krishna says, Yogi Yunjita Satatatmanam The suggestion starts from there where Krishna says, a yogi must keep the mind focused as regularly as possible or on a regular basis. A karma yogi must meditate on a regular basis is what Krishna says in that first line. And he goes on to say, Rahasi stitaha, remaining in a secretive place. The idea being, one gives this process of meditation the due respect by maintaining this time and solitude and a certain amount of secrecy. One doesn't discuss this like other plans in one's life or other experiences that one has in life. This has to be given a very sacred place in one's life and a certain amount of secrecy and solitude being maintained with regards to meditation is a very important discipline that Krishna mentions in the beginning itself. And we will also see 
why as a physical discipline maintaining solitude is very important part of that uh, we'll discuss in today's episode krishna ends that shloka by adding a few more points he says yatachittatma a word that keeps repeating we're going to uh, have a version of that word in today's shloka also one for whom the mind and the body has been controlled nirashihi free from expectations one must meditate without having any expectations this again swami explains very beautifully in dhyanavahini probably not this week we will talk about it next week but krishna says nirashihi one should take up meditation without any expectations and aparigraha without any covetousness and we also discussed about aparigraha being more deep value that swami says that we all must practice and probably that also will come in some further discussions that we might have so these are the verses that we covered last time we'll go into the shlokas that we intend to do today these shlokas especially the next two or three shlokas are going to speak about some very practical instructions that krishna gives the 11th and the 12th shloka are pretty much like one continuous statement so we will listen to the 11th and the 12th shloka together i'll give you a brief meaning of that and then we will discuss that in detail as always i have the shlokas rendered very beautifully and clearly my brother sham one of our alumnus will listen to it and then we will discuss further शुचौदेशे प्रतिष्ठाप्य स्थिरमासनमात्म नात्युछ्रित नातिनीचम चैलाजिनकुशोत्तर तत्रैकाग्रम मन Having firmly established in a clean place his seat, neither too high nor too low, and made of cloth, skin, and kusha grass, placed successively one below the other. and sitting on that seat he should concentrate his mind for the purification of the internal organs making the mind one pointed and keeping the actions of the mind and senses under control so that is verse number 11 and 12 of the 6th chapter as i mentioned last week and i remarked just before playing that shloka in this part of the chapter krishna is going to describe some physical disciplines required for the practice of meditation some of these are simple practical physical instructions but some also have a inner significance wherever we can speak about the inner significance we shall do that but some of these instructions which if we understand the spirit behind those instructions probably we can also modify them according to our present times but uh, one thing has to be kept in mind i mentioned this in the introduction to the chapter itself that some of these also have to be looked at as 
instructions that Krishna is giving in a different time. Is giving these to Arjuna in the Dwapar Yuga. It's a very different time. So some of these may be very direct, simple instructions, which may not apply to us directly. We'll just keep that also in mind. There are many things involved in meditation. Though meditation itself is to allow us to gain self mastery, even to meditate, even to be able to sit down. and keep quiet forget about meditation that comes later sit down close your eyes and do nothing you need a little bit of self mastery we are finding it so difficult to remain in our homes right for this extended period that shows us that to keep quiet and not do nothing calls for self mastery that is why even for doing meditation even though meditation itself is for self mastery even to start meditating you need a certain amount of self mastery in fact i had quoted this line from gita vaini earlier too i'm repeating it here swami says the yoga of meditation needs the support of the yoga of action so the yoga of action was first taught to you the reason i'm quoting that here is what should i do to attain that much self discipline so that i can sit down and meditate right that's the next question that comes if you tell me that even to start meditating you should have a certain amount of self control the answer to that lies in that quote that i just read so performing one's duty is itself the first level of discipline and internal purification right that's what krishna says there and as paraphrased by swami karma yoga itself is the basis one must be a duty centric person and that will give a person the necessary self control and self mastery to be able to even take up this path of meditation so in this shloka number 11 krishna is referring to physical disciplines relating to meditation and as i said even to be able to sit down for a few minutes every day you need a certain amount of self control and discipline and that comes with simply being a responsible duty centric person for a higher level of focus and some higher gains you need an advanced mastery of the mind and that is what we turn to meditation for the first point that krishna makes is about where to meditate how to prepare the place where you are going to meditate in let us say i am going to meditate in a room in my house so there is something about the room that i must be careful about and where exactly in the room i am going to sit that must also be taken care of the place where i am meditating is referred to as desha and the seat in that place where i will be seated and be meditating is referred to as asana and now krishna explains shuchau deshe Firstly the place must be clean shuchau deshe pratishthaya sthiram asanam atmanaha you should have a stable and firm seat in a clean place sthiram asanam the seat that you're going to sit should be stable and it should be in a shuchau deshe in a clean place the seat should be na atyuchitam not very high na 
अति नीचम नॉट वेरी लो वाई इज कृष्ण सेइंग दिस द सीट वे यू गोइंग टू सिट शुड नॉट बी टू हाई इट शुड नॉट बी टू लो दिस कुड वेल बी अ वेरी वेरी प्रैक्टिकल ट्रिप फॉर पीपल हु विश टू प्रैक्टिस मेडिटेशन some people would say that i want to go to a hill top and meditate i want to go to the himalayas and meditate where it is extremely cold and very high altitude or somebody might say i want to go into an underground cave and meditate the idea probably is to sit in a place where the body doesn't have to struggle to get some of the vital needs like oxygen and warmth right see when you begin meditation we must choose an arrangement where there are not too many distractions the whole idea of beginning to meditate as swami would say is you know at one point you don't realize where you are you forget your body you transcend your senses that probably is the goal of meditation but for most of us when we begin meditation the instructions given here are very simple that can you minimize the distractions the bodily physical distractions that could come around you right too much heat too much cold these are all distractions for the body if i have less oxygen or if i feel cloistered and claustrophobic that can be a distraction right or as one of the commentators says if you choose to sit on a tree and meditate you might have the fear of falling off right though that's a bit of a stretch but you get the idea you are trying to create an environment where you sit where you do not have much distractions you do not have to worry about too many things and you can free your mind of all of these things right eventually meditation must help us transcend the body but when we begin it is best to find a place in position that can ensure that we don't have to be bothered about all these discomforts there is another way of looking at this statement natyuchitam nati Nicham. This could also be a reference to the mental attitude with which meditation has to be taken up. Just because one is meditating, it doesn't make one an elevated person. As Swami would often point out, the most dangerous of the different types of prides that a person encounters is spiritual pride. Right. So little if we start doing a bit of meditation and little regularly if we start doing that, we might. begin to start feeling that we are a little above the rest of the people right you might walk into your office or you might uh, look at your family members and say oh you don't meditate i meditate right that kind of an attitude where one feels that one is higher than the others or comparing our ability to meditate with the ability to meditate of others around us oh i am able to meditate only for few minutes and see look at that person he is sitting undisturbed for 25 30 minutes or somebody is able to in spite of the noises around one is able to be in deep meditation and i am sitting here and a small mosquito comes and i'm getting disturbed these also could be a form of internal distraction right pride or feeling lesser about oneself compared to others so inner significance of this statement where krishna says natyuchitam natinicham could also mean do not have an attitude of being higher or an attitude of being lower but as i said very very practically krishna is saying that this is something that you can adapt to your present circumstances can you prepare that place where you sit and meditate in a manner that it offers least distraction to you
Then Krishna describes the asana or the seat itself and he does it pretty specifically. He says, Chailam Ajina Kusha Uttaram which means Chaila, a piece of cloth. Ajina, skin of a deer or a skin of a tiger. Kusha, which is a mat prepared with Kusha grass. Uttaram. Uttaram means it should be placed in that order, which means topmost will be piece of cloth, then there will be this tiger or deer skin and the lowermost layer will be that of a Kusha grass. So you can see how specific it is. He's saying first, I don't know uh, whether we do get kushagras mats these days, specially made for that. So he says first you spread the kushagras, then you put a skin of an animal and then you put a soft cloth on top of that. This again can be a very practical advice that was probably more relevant in those times. right? A simple means of protecting the legs from humidity or cold that kind of comes from the ground, right? Most of the time, meditation is done in the early hours of the day. People sit down and do that. And you're going to sit with your legs in Padmasan, as we're going to see all of that later in Swami's own words. So if you're going to sit in a place where the cold is radiating from the ground and there is humidity, these can all cause problems to your physical health also, right? So in that sense, it's probably a very, very practical tip that Krishna is giving. And remember, it was not uncommon in the past to meditate on a bank of a river or in a cave, as I said. So, these are simple instructions that probably are in tune with those times. So, as much as possible, can we remove possible distractions to the body and the mind is the simple understanding that we can draw from these statements. But apart from this, there is another very important point that Swami makes with regard to and uh, description such as this, that you have to use a mat and things like that. We are living in a scenario where we are speaking about social distancing, right? Because we are seeing the threat of an infection that could spread by physical contact. But in Sanatan Dharma, there's always an emphasis on this aspect of social distancing. A lot of emphasis is placed on sparsha or the act of touching one another. In fact, Swami says, even thoughts sometimes can be transferred through the touch of a person or through close physical proximity with a person. And this was one of the reasons that people who meditated chose secluded places. As I said in the previous shloka, Krishna speaks about ekaki, meaning you should be alone and Rahasi Stitaha in a secluded, secretive place. right? And this was one of the reasons why people chose to be alone because there is a lot of thoughts that can be transferred even by the act of touching. I came across this discourse which Swami delivered on March 15, 1992 where Swami explains this very beautifully. He says, The earth has an energy that attracts objects towards itself. And when a person meditates, Swami says, enormous spiritual energy is generated in the body. So as to not lose this energy, Swami says that people would sit on a plank or have a grass mat and a deer skin in order to insulate themselves from losing this energy. Right? So when Krishna says that you should 
be in a place that's slightly elevated and you should have uh, this three layered asana on which you have to sit it is not only a very practical thing that he is saying that it could also mean definitely means this also because swami himself is saying that that there is a possibility of losing this energy that is generated in the body in the process of meditation if we sit directly on the floor and swami in fact quickly adds that the cloth that is usually spoken of as being put on the deer skin or on the grass is simply so that the fur doesn't prick you when you're sitting on it right and swami in fact uses the word he says this whole process is referred to as sukha dhyana or meditation in comfort as i said this sukha is not to give you pleasure this sukha is to ensure that there are no distractions doesn't something doesn't prick you and probably in the modern times even using a mosquito repellent probably is part of the sukha dhyana so that you don't have any disturbances if you can afford that kind of a luxury probably sitting in a room which is soundproof so that people talking around or moving around doesn't disturb you so this is referred to as sukha dhyana so that you are able to control whatever is around you so that it doesn't become a distraction in this process of meditation in fact when uh, the other point that comes to my mind is you know when we were students one swami was speaking about the sages in the himalayas and explained and he was talking about them and you know we all have this mental image of how these sages are with a long beard and uh, unkept physical appearance and all of that swami was explaining that you know so much of spiritual energy is generated in their body on account of the tapas that they do that in order to retain that energy it is for that reason that they would not cut their hair and they would not cut their nails right in fact swami has mentioned this a couple of times i've heard it myself in swami's discourses of course these are probably very advanced sadhakas and swami doesn't suggest that we should grow long hair and clip our nails we all know that that's not a part of discipline that swami wants us to follow but i'm saying that these are points that suggest that what kind of energies we are talking about when we are referring to the process of meditation right so the idea behind sitting alone not having physical contact with others and not sitting directly on the floor while meditating has some of these subtle reasons too which probably we would not know otherwise because swami is explaining it to us and pointing it out to us i think we kind of understand that there is more to this just beyond the practical explanations that i just gave you going ahead to the next shloka as i mentioned this is a continuous statement where krishna is saying preparing the place and the seat in this manner you must meditate and how he says in the following shloka he says tatra there that is in the place that has been prepared in this manner ekagram manaha kritva making the mind one pointed swami says clearly the first step in meditation is ekagrata or one pointedness so krishna mentions that here ekagram manaha kritva making the mind one pointed swami clearly says there are three states of the mind sunyatva anekagrata and ekagrata these are the three stages of the mind sunyatva is blankness right sunya means nothing or zero so sunyatva is a state of blankness which probably is a reference to say sleep 
or you're in a very slothful and drowsy state some you would say that sunyatva is a sign of the quality of tamas then comes anekagrata that is multi pointedness of the mind the mind is going all over the place the mind is distracted it's jumping from one thought to the other going up and down with emotions and feelings this anekagrata is a rajasic state of the mind you cannot meditate when the mind is in this state of anekagrata you cannot meditate if the mind is in anekagrata you cannot meditate if the mind is in sunyatva right so in one you are drowsy and falling asleep in the other you are way too distracted to be able to meditate so the mind should be in a state of ekagrata or one pointedness before it is able to meditate so the idea of concentrating on a name and a form or concentrating on a lamp all this is so that the ekagrata is achieved before one begins to meditate or the ekagrata itself is probably the first step in this process of meditation so that is the next stage in meditation right first clean the place prepare your seat then steady the mind tatra ekagram manah kritva thereafter bring the mind to one pointedness then krishna goes on to say yata chitendriya kriya krishna is referring to the sadhaka he says after doing all this the yata chitendriya kriya which means it's very similar to the term yata chittatma right that's why i said a different form of this word is going to be used in today's shloka here he says yata chitendriya kriya one who has controlled the actions of the mind and the senses as i had mentioned this description of a sadhaka will repeat multiple times and that is a indication of how important this basic self control is and how necessary it is for sadhana so he says the sadhaka who is a yata chittendriya kriya upavishya being seated asane on the seat which was earlier described yunjat let him practice yogam so when one is practicing dhyana yoga in this manner what must be the goal or the motive this is all description of how you prepare your seat how you sit down how you prepare your mind how you bring in one pointedness but the whole process with what attitude or with what aspiration should the whole process be taken krishna says all this must be practiced for atma vishuddhaye for the purification of the self or the purification of antakarnas where krishna says atma doesn't mean the soul the soul doesn't need purification here it refers to the mind or the antakarna so atma vishuddhaye the whole process is for this purpose of self purification i had said this right in the beginning you know to do meditation you need self control and purity right in a certain stage the goal of this meditation is also self control and purity so here is this process called meditation to be able to meditate you should have self control and purity the goal of meditation is also self control and purity in fact when krishna said the place has to be clean and pure swami says very clearly that what cleanliness is actually being referred to here in fact let me quote uh, that same samakos discourse that i quoted from last week 
I think the Samakos discourse is from 1979. And this is a discourse on Dhyana Yoga or Atma Samyama Yoga. Swami says in that discourse, and I quote, In the Atma Samyama Yoga, Krishna emphasizes the need for maintaining absolute cleanliness at the place where meditation is practiced. It is not your house or the forest that is to be kept clean, but the immediate surroundings of the place where you perform meditation that should be kept clean. The jiva dwells in the body whilst the Lord resides in the heart. Therefore, as meditation is not so much performed in external environs as it is within the heart, it being an internal process, it is more vital to rid the heart of all impurities and render it a fit abode for God. In our daily lives, when we have to sit somewhere, we choose a clean place and cover the ground with a handkerchief or a newspaper. Such being the care we take in cleaning a place to sit in for ourselves, the need for keeping the heart clean to seat the Lord therein and to achieve the purpose of meditation is all the more important. End of quote. So Swami very clearly states that the true seat for us is this body and the true seat for the Lord is the mind. And if you have a sparkling clean puja room, an outstanding asana, which has been prepared perfectly exactly like how Krishna says, you manage to procure a nice kusha grass mat and you have a beautiful deer skin and a sparkling white cloth over it and you've done all of this. But if the body-mind complex, the body and the mind is not clean, one gets nowhere in this process. right? So just like how a basic amount of discipline is necessary even to be able to sit and meditate, a certain amount of internal purity is also necessary. But as Krishna says in the shloka, here the process of meditation is Atma Vishuddhaye, is for the purpose of self-purification. So what is the difference between the purity that is a prerequisite for meditation and the purity for which we are doing the meditation, the goal of meditation? What is the difference between this purity and that purity? In my opinion, I think the purity to start with is nothing but leading a moral and dharmic life. The simple goodness that we often speak of, of not wanting to harm another person, not wanting to cheat another, or not wanting to gain at the cost of another. These simple things that Swami speaks about, just to lead a normal moral life. Whatever desires one may have, whatever ambitions one may have, nothing wrong in having them, but one tries to fulfill them without straying away from the moral path. I think this is the basic purity that is a prerequisite for sadhana or prerequisite for meditation. The purity that is being targeted or the purity that is being aimed at when one takes up meditation, I think, is purifying the mind from raga and dvesha and eventually purifying the mind from ego. That's like the ultimate purity that we're all looking at. right? As we've been saying, 
when the antakarnas are completely pure and purified of raga and dvesha that is when the mind is ready to receive jnana right so the purity that is a prerequisite for meditation is a simple good moral life and the goal of this meditation is a mind which is completely free of raga and dvesha and ahankara the other way of looking at uh, this particular point is as we've been discussing when as a karma yogi we operate in this world the mind gets soiled with worldliness right we've discussed this before why meditation is a important process for a karma yogi the same mind has to be used for the worldly activity which has to be performed as sadhana right so when you perform your worldly activities there is a certain amount of contamination of the mind with worldliness that happens and meditation becomes a process by which you purify it every now and then example that we often quote in our satsangs is when swami gave his own handkerchief as an example to a student swami said you know those days uh, swami used this handkerchief swami had the habit of eating pan and swami's handkerchiefs were always uh, sparkling white so swami showed one of his handkerchiefs to the student and he said you know look at this handkerchief it is so white then swami pointed it to a corner where it had the stains of the pan that swami would chew so swami showed it to the student and said look why is this handkerchief dirty and swami went on to explain because i use it in the same way your mind also gets dirty because you use it every day and you're meant to use it what do i do when my handkerchief becomes dirty swami said i go and give it to the dobi and the dobi he washes it and he returns this handkerchief to its natural state of whiteness and then he gives it back to me swami went on to say very beautifully in the same manner for your soiled mind i am your dobi swami said nene chakali vadu he said i am the dobi for your mind every now and then give your mind to me i will clean it and i will restore it to its purity and i will give it back to you right so meditation is that process where we every now and then on a regular basis on a daily basis we give our mind to swami and he cleanses it for us so in that sense we could say that the purity to start with can be spoken of as the purity of intention right wanting swami to purify the mind if you're all right with the mind being the way it is being stained and being haywire and all of that then you would not even bother to want it to be cleaned right so probably the other way of looking at it is the purity to begin with is the purity of intention i often say this and many people who come and ask you know but how do we transform and you know these are swami's words and i want to listen to it and i want to change my life but it's not very easy i often tell them that you know that wanting to follow swami is the first level of purity and that has to be cherished and that has to be fostered right that's the first step that we have to do so in that sense this intention to purify this mind is probably the purity which we are talking of uh, or which swami is referring to here and when we successfully give our mind to swami with ekagrata with one pointedness then the purity that we are referring to what krishna is speaking about here is achieved eventually there is another misconception that is very beautifully cleared in this particular shloka see when we think of someone who is seeking enlightenment 
sadhu or sanyasi or even when we think of someone like gautama buddha who attained nirvana if i ask you how did buddha attain nirvana how did he attain enlightenment i think we might tend towards saying that because he sat in meditation for so many days and so many months he got enlightened right so much so that when we think of the spiritual path we invariably we think of somebody sitting and meditating undisturbed probably sitting and meditating for days together not even getting up right as krishna says here even meditation is only for atma shuddhi or purification of the mind which means meditation is also for the same purpose for which karma is right we've been speaking about that that karma enables you to purify your mind performing your duties performing your assigned tasks that itself is a process by which the mind gets purified even meditation is only for the same process is what krishna says but it has the added advantage of where you withdraw from the world and the worldliness and then you are able to concentrate on the goal that being a different aspect but the important point is even meditation is only for the self purification and when you're speaking about karma we said this karma can at best only lead you to antakarna shuddhi which prepares the mind for jnana right there is nothing that i can do to get jnana in that sense even meditation is only a karma even meditation is only a task that i am doing and i say meditation whatever we've been discussing here preparing a mat sitting down there chanting something and trying to concentrate even this is only a process meditation is not a vocation of the spiritual really i think this is a very important and essential tool but just like karma it only leads you till antakarna shuddhi when the mind is prepared jnana dawns there is nothing like because of this i get that right i think that is one more very important clarification that krishna gives in this particular shloka so we'll go to the next shloka shloka number 13 i hope we'll have enough time to discuss that before we conclude we'll listen to that i'll give you the brief meaning and then we will discuss in detail samam kaya shiro grivam dharayanna chalam sthiraha samprekshya nasikagram swam holding the body head and neck erect and still being steady looking at the tip of one's own nose and not looking around so that's the 13th verse and even this is actually a continued statement it continues into the next shloka but i thought we'll stop with this because there are enough things to be discussed only in this krishna has spoken about the place where one meditates the asanam or the seat on which one sits and meditates in this one krishna speaks about the asana or the posture that one must maintain to meditate there are a few things that krishna states here but uh, after i mention them most of these are instructions which don't need much of explanations right i thought uh, i will also share some other instructions that swami has given in 
his discourses, in his writings. Any of you are wishing to take up the practice of meditation very rigorously and very seriously, I think some of the points that Swami says there might be very helpful to you. So first we will see what Krishna is saying here in this particular shloka. So the first point Krishna makes is Dharayan Nachalam Holding still Sthiraha Steady Samam Kaya Shiro Grivam Keeping in one line Samam The body Kaya Shiroho The head And Grivam The neck Swami specifically mentions that uh, people have the tendency of bending the neck. Right? We all know that meditation means that you have to sit straight. When Swami says this in a few discourses, he says people sit straight but the neck tends to bend or either sideways or forward and this is a very dangerous thing. Swami says that there are a lot of subtle nerve points or nadis in, in many of these places and that's why this position is very, very important where the back the head and the neck is maintained in one line. And then he goes on to say, Sampreksha, gazing at Nasikagram Swam, the tip of one's own nose. Don't ask me if there is some special chakra in the tip of the nose and that's why we have to concentrate there. This is the question that might come. What is so special about the tip of the nose? And that's why Adi Shankara in his commentary very quickly clarifies when he is speaking about this shloka. He says, don't think that you are being asked to meditate on the nose. The idea is that the eyes must not wander around. Right? That's what Krishna says in the very next statement. He says, Dishaha cha anavalokayan. Don't gaze around. Right? So when they say, concentrate on the tip of the nose. The tip of the nose is not meant to become the dhyaya or that which is meditated upon. This is only an instruction which is meant to explain to you, don't look around, don't keep gazing all around the place. Concentrate on your nose. And why one should not close the eyes completely? Swami says, when you have a very comfortable seat, a place that is not too warm, not too cold, in other words, it's very cozy and pleasant. There is a very good chance of you falling asleep. So it is suggested to keep the eyes half open. And that is also a means of uh, cutting off the senses from external distractions. Right? In fact, Swami also speaks of a point that uh, Krishna had made in the previous chapter that when you sit for meditation, try and listen to the breath that uh, initially when you inhaling and exhaling and mentally chant Soham when you're doing that. Swami explains that this one makes the mind calm and also the breath also becomes a little more regular when you do that and it eventually prepares the body and the mind for meditation. As I said, there are a few more points that Swami makes and in fact, uh, I thought I will read out this particular passage from Swami's Dhyana Vahini directly. Some of you might find these points useful. As I said, if you are wanting to take it seriously, I will read it out here and I also would suggest that any day you should go and read Swami's Dhyana Vahini. The entire book is on meditation. Those of us who want to take it up seriously, I think that's one of the first literatures of Swami that we must pick up. This is from the very first chapter of Dhyana Vahini and Swami says this. This is an addition to whatever we have spoken now, right? Some of the points that Krishna mentions in these shlokas 
Swami mentions in the Dhyanavayani first chapter too. In addition to this, these are some points that Swami gives. I thought I will mention it here. Swami says, and I quote, Sit on it, the seed that was prepared as explained, in the lotus posture or Padmasana, the right foot must be above the left and the left foot must be above the right. The fingers of the hand must be in close touch with one another and the hands should be placed in front. The eyes must be either half open or fully closed. Then, by means of a mental massage, relax the neck, shoulders, hands, chest, teeth, stomach, fingers, back, thighs, knees, calves and feet. After this, one has to meditate on one's own favourite name and form with OM added. When this is being done, there should be no mental wanderings. One must be stable and quiet. No thought of past events, no trace of anger or hatred and no memory of sorrow should be allowed to interfere. Even if they intrude, they should not be considered at all. To counteract them, entertain thoughts that will feed one's enthusiasm for meditation. Of course, this may appear difficult at first. The best time for meditation is the quiet hours before dawn, between 3 and 5 a.m. One can wake, say at 4 a.m. First of all, sleep has to be subdued. This is very necessary. In order to keep the hours unchanged, one may even set the alarm clock for 4 a.m. and then rise. Even then, if sleep continues to bother, its effect can be overcome by means of a bath with cold water. Not that it is essential to bathe. It is needed only when sleep gives much trouble. If in this manner the path of meditation or dhyana is rigorously followed, it is possible for one to win the grace of the Lord very quickly. End of quote. So there are a few more very useful points for those who wish to meditate on a regular basis and Swami very beautifully says the whole process of relaxing the body mentally, massage each one of these parts. This preparatory thing itself will give a lot of calming effect, I'm sure. And Swami keeps it very practical, use an alarm clock. You know, it's not that everybody has to wake up without the help of an alarm clock. It's quite obvious that the Bhagavad Gita doesn't speak of an alarm clock. <laughs> but there are other things that Swami says, like you can have a bath, cold water bath, but bath is not necessary. I think that's a very important and beautiful point where Krishna speaks about cleanliness but Swami says that bath is not necessary which clearly is an indication that the cleanliness that is being referred to is internal cleanliness. But at the same time, Swami says that the place where you sit has to be cleaned, you sit on that and uh, the other important point that Swami makes there is you can start with a 
small prayer, right? That's again something that uh, Swami has said a few times. That you can start with a small prayer or a few shlokas that can be chanted. You can chant a few times the Gayatri Mantra or the Sai Gayatri or simply Japam of Om Shri Sai Ram or whatever it is. Swami says that these are all things that prepares your mind, right? Before you start your meditation. So some very beautiful points that Swami mentions there. As I said, even as we go through the shlokas, wherever else Swami has spoken about it, I'll try to make references to that. So if you're asking, I've done all this, then what must I meditate upon, right? All of this is only preparation for meditation. So what is the meditation actually? In that uh, passage that I read out from the Samukos, that is 1979 Samukos discourse, or if you've been following us in the afternoon satsang in the past couple of weeks, the meditation technique recommended by Swami is Jyoti meditation, where the object of meditation is actually a flame, where you can physically light up a lamp and meditate on that, or you imagine the flame and then you meditate upon that. I'm not going into the entire detail. Last week and the week before that in afternoon satsang, we spoke about it in detail because Swami mentions that and very, very clearly, very beautifully, Swami speaks about all of that. So that is the technique that Swami is recommending. Swami says that this is the simple and this is the least problem-creating meditation technique. So this is what Swami speaks about. This is the portion in the Gita where the physical prerequisites and requirements and the arrangements that are required for meditation is spoken about. For those of you who might be interested, so these are the references. The Anuvahini is there. 1979 summer course is there. Many, many discourses. In fact, the other discourse that I quoted from is a discourse that Swami gave specifically to the students in the hostel about what are the techniques that they can follow if they're interested in. So with that, dear listeners, I probably will conclude uh, this episode. I hope all of you are keeping safe and taking good care of yourself. Thank you for joining me this week and do join me again next week for the resumption of the Triune Pilgrimage of the Gita series. Till then, take care. Jai Sairam.